Welcome to A Novel Life, a podcast about living life in a novel way. I am Lauren Ruth Martin, a licensed professional counselor. Now on this show, we talk about a lot of things related to therapy. Just remember, this isn't therapy. So if you want a therapist, hop online and find one. Let's start the show. What a crazy week. I don't know if you have been experiencing it, um, but I've actually had a lot of really cool things happen. And um, today, earlier today, I recorded an episode of the Simply Stories podcast with my friend Emily Humphreys. And so I feel like I'm a little talked out, but I'm going to push through and get this episode out to you guys um, as soon as that episode's out, which it's really fun. And we've been friends for over a decade now. And so we've just cut up for like half of the show. We went down our bunny trails, which is our usual, but that should be out in a few weeks. Um, Also, I was a guest on the Therapist Theater podcast. So if you look that up, um, I talk about the movie Garden State and chat about grief and radically open DBT and relationships. Um, And then also, uh, Belmont University published a... um, a convocation, which is in short, for those of you that don't know what a convo is, it's a little lecture series. And I usually do one a semester with them. They published um, a video on YouTube. And so that's going to be up on my um, site too. I don't know why I just listed all of that out straight out the gate, but I'm just excited about, I think this quarantine has been an opportunity for me to really create content. And I'm just excited about getting more of this out to you guys. Um, While I'm remembering, uh, if you have things that you want me to talk about on the podcast, shoot me a message on Instagram at novel counseling. Um, I've been getting a few requests, one for an episode on binge eating. I did a little bit about it last week. And then also several people have been messaging me about shame. I definitely want to get an episode of shame up. um, So I'm going to work on that And so that will be coming up in the next few weeks. Um, But yeah, like it's just, this is fun. And I think that's like why it's been such an exciting week, which really highlights um, one of the things I talk about a lot in here is living um, a life within your values, like where I am exhausted right now, but I am able to push through and not in an unhealthy way because something that I'm doing right now, like this is in my values, um, making content. Um, I've always become really energized when sharing my thoughts and opinions, um, just in general, like I've always been excited to have an audience, but more so now having this sort of platform in the therapy world, I just get I get energized by doing it. And so no matter how tired I am, making the time and pushing myself to do this, and also to hop on other mediums to do this, it it gives me energy. And I would encourage you guys, if you have the brain space to do this, and I'm not going to even say why you have downtime, but just while life is in a period of adjustment. We're all getting this opportunity to sort of recalibrate our lives and figure out what we might want more of or less of in our lives. And it's really easy for us to think about what we want less of. I want less this, I want less that. And sometimes it's hard for us to think if I had the extra time, what else would I be doing? Um, Actually, I find that a lot with my clients because the idea of 
finding something that's more of a passion project that doesn't get involved in perfectionism or productivity is typically hard to do. Um, But just if you had that time, if you were able to pick up a hobby, if you were able just to dedicate time each week to something that energizes you, what would that be? And what I can tell you is that even though I am so exhausted by all the things going on with the shelter at home and working and balancing family life. This gives me so much energy and and being on other podcasts gives me energy and you'll, you'll know it when you feel it. Like even if it's uncomfortable because it's something new, there's like, it's almost like taking like a shot of espresso and just getting re-engaged with life. And that's why the concept of values is so important. Um, We got a great show today. I'm going to do a breakdown of a few different types of therapy. And then we're going to talk about why we get caught up in negative headspaces and what we can do to work through it. So stick around and we'll be right back. Um, This week I posted and somebody commented and asked about how the modalities, which is basically a fancy word for therapy tools um, that you use, like how do they work and what do they address? And so I thought, I was like, you know what, why not do a little brief overview of the two main toolboxes that I use in therapy so that you can look it up, you can research it and find a provider that may use these sort of tools to see if it's for you. They're both very similar. So one is called acceptance and commitment therapy. One is called radically open DBT. Where they are the same is that they both have a mindfulness element to it. They both are about increasing psychological flexibility And they have the same sort of like attitude when it comes to therapy. Now, since I'm not teaching you how to do it, I'm going to try to not get really into the mechanics of it, but mainly speak to the spirit of it. Um, And also you can kind of have like an idea of what route would be better for you. So acceptance and commitment therapy is a very effective, like general sort of it's not it's not a specialization per se like it is a good general framework that a lot of therapists work from and so you can get a ton of training in it you can reach certain levels of the training to where um, you know it's something to work towards and so when I say it's a it's a general sort of um, treatment it's good for a wide range of treatments like anxiety depression OCD, eating disorders, trauma, and there's different ways that it addresses the symptoms related to it. And therapists can get training in those specific diagnoses so that that treatment is tailored to it. What it essentially focuses on, so what acceptance and commitment therapy primarily focuses on, the main thing about it is that it is about you increasing your acceptance for the present moment and being able to learn how to be present through mindfulness. And then in along with that acceptance and awareness of the present moment, be able to execute 
behavior changes that are more in line with your values so that you're being guided mindfully by your values as opposed to unhelpful thoughts, just your emotions, um, just rules, things that aren't necessarily what you typically want to base your life out of. And there's essentially like six core things in acceptance and commitment therapy that provide like a framework for having that increased flexibility and awareness of the moment. So that's acceptance, um, cognitive diffusion, which is basically a way of separating yourself from your negative thinking, being present. So actually being able to be in the moment self is context. That's essentially like how we view ourselves values and committed action. And what you're simply doing is, is working through those different processes in order to have whatever the positive result is in your life. And a core thing of acceptance and commitment therapy that I really love and I encourage people to really embrace is that it's not about the problems in your life. So like, let's say you're someone that is, um, I think I mentioned this last week, like if you're struggling with binge eating, food is not the problem. Your relationship with food is the problem. If you're somebody that avoids conflict, conflict is not the problem. It's your relationship with conflict. And so what it does, it, it investigates what's going on between your two ears, but also noticing how it influences your behavior. Now where radically open DBT is a more specialized treatment for a very specific set of, um, of diagnoses like chronic depression, um, social anxiety, OCPD, um, anorexia, where it's similar to acceptance and commitment therapy is that there's still a values element to it. There's still a behavior element to it. What's different and um, about this is that radically open DBT focuses primarily on social signaling. And I could do a whole episode on social signaling and I probably will in the future, but it focuses on how um, like the mechanism of change in radically open DBT focuses on um, not only what's going on in our head, but that's not what takes precedence. What takes precedence is how we present ourselves to the world through how we relate to others. So what does our face look like when we talk to other people? Um, How does our posture maintain when we're in moments of discomfort? How do we present our thoughts and our feelings to other people? And are they congruent with our inner experience? So when you have that person, we all know who they are. And it may be you when you say that you're fine and you're clenching your teeth together. And that really means that you're not fine. But the person on the other end can't tell what's going on. The theory is that if the person that's learning RODBT, if they can learn how to increase um, proper disclosure or congruent disclosure and build connection that will help reduce the psychological symptoms related to psychological inflexibility. The mindfulness element too is through this practice of self-inquiry of getting curious and not always relying on solid answers to what's going on, but more so getting open to the idea of learning and exploring and uh, just being okay with not 
knowing it all because we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. And so both frameworks go to this idea of curiosity is the way to go instead of constantly changing or finding the right answer because the answer ultimately is going to change depending on the context. And so we have to take in and be present and be aware of what's actually going on in order to have the proper or more appropriate action reaction in order to have a a better life. Um, And so I will include links for what you can look up about those therapies in the show notes. And it's also on my website, novelcounseling.com. Um, Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we will chat more. Ready for this week's deep dive? I'm sure you are. So let's buckle up. This week, we are talking about basically our brains and why we want why it's easier for us to focus on the negative um, and how avoidance of discomfort actually just provides us more long-term discomfort. I w- I can't think of the catchy, see, this is like where my brain is totally like going, dad, here's the thing. I don't have the cute catchphrase yet, but in short, um, this comes from the question, actually, it was from my husband and he asked, why is it easier to focus on the sad and angry parts of your day rather than the the positive. And the, you know, that's actually, that's a common thing for all of us. And that's because we are, our brains are hardwired. Like the short of this is that our brains are hardwired basically to constantly pursue safety. And if there's anything going on in our world that is challenging or potentially putting our safety in danger, we have a tendency to focus on that in order to keep ourselves safe. And so if you think about it, if you're a more anxious minded person, you're constantly looking at the future to potentially ward off any sort of um, danger or anything that can disrupt what's going on right now. You know, it's almost like when people say things are going too well right now, that's that forward thinking in order to protect safety um, in ahead of time. If you think about being depressed and you're looking back on your past and rehashing things from your past, part of that can be to rework or to work through what happened in the past so that it doesn't happen again. Some of it may be shame related. And shame is one of the ultimate um, emotions that equals danger because back in the day if you messed up in your tribe like let's say you let the fire go out like you were put to death and so shame and lack of safety basically go hand in hand but when you have the more depressed mindset you're kind of stuck rehashing what's happened in the past because essentially you don't want to go through that again or you can't make sense of what happened and therefore there's no sort of like closure or comfort with it And when we think about therapy and how it ties into it, every therapist will tell you the best way to work through that is to go through it. And we like comfort. We like comfort. 
we like safety. But the hard part about that is that our brains sometimes can't can't register and our brains get wired through our experiences and our biases develop that may make us more likely to lean on those on focusing on the negative things. The hard thing about it is that rather than thinking, oh, I always focus on the negative, what we have to recognize, and this comes from this idea from acceptance and commitment therapy that I talked about earlier, is looking at what causes us to avoid discomfort. And roll with me here. So let's say you're sitting in your house at the end of the day, things have finally calmed down, you're about to go to bed, and your brain just sparks up with all the things that you're anxious about, and all the things that you're angry about. And even though you're in your cozy bed, and like the lavender essential oils are diffusing, and you got your eye mask, and like, life is good, you are in a safe place. And it's like, boom, brains like, let me tell you all the bad things in the world. Um, It's doing that one, because there's a chance that you've been so busy throughout your day that your brain's like, oh, now we can process this. But also the idea of what is comfortable. And no, anybody, like when you're talking to someone, it's very rare that somebody will say, you know what, I am most comfortable. I feel most safe when I am problem solving. However, if you were to really reflect and see how you cope, sometimes it feels more productive to be problem solving and ruminating and rehashing because it feels like it's in our control. And so like what I was talking about, like at night, like it being more like an intrusive thing, um, that sucks. But I'm now going on this bunny trail back to Henry's question of why is it easier for us to focus on the bad? And that's the theory is, is sometimes focusing on the bad is what actually feels more comfortable because we feel in control. Um, You can also swing to the opposite side of it and live with rose colored glasses and live in denial as a way to avoid discomfort. But we have to kind of ask ourselves, where do we feel most comfortable? And like, I'll be honest with you in my own work, sometimes being in that cynical spot is more comfortable for me, even though it brings a sense of sadness or I miss out on some joyous occasions. But staying in that cynical spot keeps me safe from the letdown of being blissful. Because due to some experiences in my life, being blissful made me vulnerable. And that's why you're, you know, a lot of these um, popular therapists bring up this idea of shame and vulnerability, like Brene Brown, she brings up the idea of like why vulnerability is the ultimate goal. And being present is the ultimate goal. But the amount of discomfort that comes with it almost makes it hard to do. And it makes it something that a lot of people avoid. Because it's a lot easier to sit in our problems because we as adults, so let's just talk like for us as adults or those that have coped this way, it's more comfortable and we hold on to our beliefs that are in that. And so if something made me angry during the day that really fits in line with maybe an unhelpful belief about the world, 
Like if somebody cuts me off at traffic and I'm like, see, people are selfish. It's more comfortable for me to sit in that sad and angry place towards that selfish person than to begin letting go and loosening the grip and and giving that person the benefit of the doubt that they actually aren't selfish. Like they just weren't paying attention. That takes developing new muscle memory, which is a lot of work. And so if you're already exhausted or if you're already having a day, um, the discomfort of a new belief is almost way too overwhelming. So you just go with what you know. And for those that are on the more blissful side and they're like, oh, it's fine. They can cut me off. It's not going to bug me. What happens is that that emotion of anger is never worked and it's avoided to the point that when something is true, like anger is truly needed in order to motivate towards change, it's, it's hard to get unstuck. And so, you know, my husband's clearly married to a therapist to ask such a question like this. And he's sitting next to me reading a book. Um, but the idea of why is it easier to stay sad or mad? You got to ask yourself if that's your place of comfort. If that's your play, if that's more muscle memory, if that reinforces some of your worldview, like where do you get stuck in that? And if we think about this idea of, okay, how do we, so an, an act, they call it, I wrote a note for it, is um, it's basically about avoidance of discomfort. And so there's several interventions about moving away or towards your values. And in this one part when they talk about moving away it's not about engaging in behaviors that take you away from your values it's about engaging in behaviors that take you away from discomfort and we I think we as a society have got to get better with being aware of the meanings that we attach to discomfort or attaching meanings to when we might be wrong about something because it, it for sure can keep us stuck. I mean, if we, if we think at the end of the day, you know, especially with everything we have going on right now, um, and I'm speaking on a really surface level, so I'm not speaking to the people that have been through, um, that have maybe lost a job or have had tremendous loss during this pandemic. I'm talking about those that are experiencing general loss. It's And it's still a struggle, but we have to think about how we're all reacting to this is a reaction to discomfort and our struggle with discomfort because this whole routine being knocked, it's challenging all of us and how we go about our day-to-day lives in so many ways. And I can tell you, I have struggled on a daily basis um, to, I continue trying to pursue certainty and I will rehash stuff that Henry and I have talked about a million times, but it's so easy for me to focus on what do we need to do next? Or how do we solve this problem? Then to look back and reflect on like, we had a good day and we had a good day. We had a good time with our kid. We got our work done. Like that's good. But when the good things are happening, we're not having to put as much energy or effort into it. If you think about it, when things are good and when we're having good days our brain isn't having to register it because we're safe and we're we're not in danger. 
Um, even if we still kind of struggle with that, oh, what if the other shoe drops? It's not happening as much because like we're, we're able just to let loose for a little bit. And so it's harder for our bodies to remember what works out well because there's less effort involved with it. And so how do we retrain our brains and our bodies to become comfortable with positive stuff? Because essentially that's what like what we're saying is that our brains are wired to take on more negative stuff because it requires more work to work through, but it's also feeling safe. I think this is where I get really hesitant about gratitude practices because I think gratitude practices can easily get abused, but I think taking inventory, and this is something that I, I have to be mindful of as a clinician to do is to ask my clients to take inventory of what's working because a lot of that stuff you're going to have to revisit. Like if I am somebody that struggles from panic attacks and deep breathing works for me, I need to take inventory that deep breathing is what I do. And that's what I do every time that I have panic attacks. I think we want to feel like our solutions to our problems need to be custom tailored every time. And they will be a lot, but we got to go with what we know and we got to go with what works. And if we don't take inventory of what works, or if we discredit when it works, I think everybody like us as humans, we are so quick to discredit when things are working in our favor and blame it on things like luck, or serendipity, or we give it directly to the Lord and I'm Southern. So that's like, just give all thanks to God. And here's the thing. Yes, all of that can play a factor, but it's discrediting the efforts that you were making to have good things happen. And I'm totally guilty of this. If somebody says like, hey, you know, it looks like things are really going well. And I pull the whole like humble brag thing. But what that unknowingly does is it keeps my body from registering like, hey, you're doing this thing and it's working. How does that feel? What does that look like? Um, it, it's like when you finally get like a sleep routine down and you're not really going to remember what worked for you sleeping wise. All you're going to do is remember the times that you didn't get sleep. In fact, I think about a friend of mine who was really struggling with sleep and I had to pull a therapist move and I told her, I was like, you're, you're not seeing that despite your many, many, many nights of awful sleep, you're still getting through the day. And is it miserable? Absolutely. But you're not, you're not failing as much as you are, like you're still here. And so there's obviously something that's working in order to help you function and to get through. And so the idea isn't to write off the pain. Y'all know that like, if you've been listening for the past, you know, month and a half, like, you know, I don't like erasing pain. But I do think it's important that we do take inventory of what works for us on a daily basis and where we do succeed. Because if we're getting into a depression spiral, if we're getting really caught up in uncertainty in the future, what that does is that becomes all consuming and it feels good. It feels good to feel like we are solving our problems by ruminating about them. It's addicting. And yes, the after effects of it suck being even more depressed, getting stuck in a shame spiral, all of that sucks for sure. 
However, in the moment, we feel more in control because we have all of our problems in our hands and they're, they're at our, like, we're ready to go. We're ready to face it on. Um, even if we're avoiding it, like avoiding it is basically like a really discreet way of keeping all of your problems gripped in your hands. And so if that's keeping a note in your phone, keeping a notebook, if it's putting a reminder of like what's working today, you know, and then you try to make more of that happen. Um, we've had to do some adjusting with our schedule and I'm realizing that I do far better with my admin work in the morning as opposed to at night. And so now we're like, Hey, this works. How can we make more of that happen? And then, um, we've been trying to reshape our life and how we go about our day in order to make more of that happen. So if we were to put an act spin on this, what we're doing is, seeing ourselves as context so challenging how we might see ourselves we're increasing committed actions and then we're also diffusing ourselves through mindfulness activities by mindfulness exercises to not be so focused on the negative but also being aware of how we're interpreting that we're trying to be present by taking in in the moment when something feels good, how that feels in the body. And I'm totally, now I'm like going around the, the hexaflex, which is an intervention. And I, I know I'm missing parts of it. But the idea is, is that we have to train ourselves to not look on the bright side as like a traditional cognitive therapist would be like, okay, that's a negative thought. Reframe it to a positive thought. There's value in that, but that's not where I operate from. I operate from the idea of is how is me focusing on the angry and sad parts of my day? How is that helping me? How's that working me towards my values? And, you know, is there a chance that me holding on to this is actually making is preventing me from feeling discomfort that can actually be productive? Because life in full involves sadness and involves pain and involves grief. It involves those bad, angry, sad sort of things. But when we hold on to it, we have to see if we're doing it mindlessly, which when Henry asked me that question, it kind of sounds like that was done in almost a mindless way of just being stuck on a loop as opposed to it being productive. And also it seemed more habitual. So that's something that you struggle with take inventory of the good, ask yourself, is this serving me? And see what it's like to try on more positive stuff in the moment. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. Um, Like I, I always ask, it would mean a lot if you could rate, review and subscribe on Spotify or Apple podcasts. That's what helps get the word out and more people can tune in and more awesomeness can be spread around. Um, Also, don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Novel Counseling. Shoot me topics that you want me to discuss in future episodes. And yeah, just be cool. Um, I hope you'll have a great week. And as I always say, stay humble, have swag, have a great week.